If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to AIM Security for All. I'm Jonathan Kimmett. I'm filling in for Kim today. Um, she is coming back from a couple of great events, uh, and so she asked me to cover, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited to talk to our guests today. Uh, before we get started, I want to let you know about some upcoming events. Um, we, they just finished uh, FutureCon Seattle on Wednesday, I believe, and we've got Montreal on the 6th and Omaha on the 19th of April. So we've got some great events. Uh, I myself am going to try to hit a, a several events this year. Um, my new job has given me a little bit more flexibility on doing that, so I'm really excited. Uh, there are always great events. Kim always does a great job, so I'm really excited to go out there. So make sure you, if it's in your area of the country, uh, in your town that you go and support the events. Uh, as always, you can find this episode and other episodes on Voice American Network and on your favorite podcast app, which is how I normally listen. Um, as I am driving back and forth between uh, sites and such, I'll throw in on a podcast for an hour. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get caught up on the news and caught up on uh, events and things happening in cybersecurity. So today, uh, I'm really excited uh, talking to Steve Winterfeld, who is an advisory CISO for Akamai. Uh, Steve has actually guest hosted uh, and security for now, uh, sorry, and security for all. And um, we're really excited that he's a friend of the show and we're gonna talk about DDoS and a few other topics today. So I'm really excited to bring him on. So Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Give us a little bit of your background and kind of what you do for Akamai. So yeah, I, I I started off on uh, defense contracting, having come out of the the army. Uh, quickly realized that uh, that probably wasn't the right uh, fit for me. Went over and was the CISO for Nordstrom Bank. Uh, ended up running a lot of Nordstrom security infrastructure. Uh, my wife is still mad we left that discount. Uh, I went from there over to uh, Charles Schwab, where I built out threat intelligence and incident response two awesome companies and was lucky enough to come into the third awesome company, Akamai. And, you know, Akamai is uh, probably best known for our content delivery. Um, we are a billion dollar security company. Uh, so we're, we're hoping to be known for that and recently uh, have moved into the cloud space. So you can perform, secure, or build on Akamai. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, a lot of people know Akamai by the name. You know, I do a lot in terms of uh, IP scanning or port scanning or things, have looking at things on the network. And as I'm looking through logs, I see Akamai come up. So, I mean, it is a, um, for me, it's a big part of what I do is when I'm looking at things, you know, I see Akamai kind of flow through the logs very quickly. So it, it's, um, tell me a little bit about the security side of Akamai. You know, what, what is it that you really want people to remember about that? So, I mean, we do three kind of, of I don't want to call them lines of business, but three major groupings or functions. The first is we're going to protect uh, from DDoS, both your infrastructure, uh, your layer three, four, and your DNS. So we make DNS go faster. We protect it. So, so we're keeping you online there. 
The rest is around how you interact with your customers. Uh, so we have that WAF, we have bot mitigation, we have uh, account takeover prevention, customer identification, um, JavaScript protection from MageCart, uh, you know, customer protection from hijacking, uh, domain protection from, uh, you know, spoofing sites that are, are involved with phishing or other things. And then protecting your employees. We have, you know, access control, zero trust access, segmentation, the second part of zero trust. Um, we do micro segmentation and uh, MFA. And so really whether you're, you're trying to stay online uh, protect your employees or protect your customers. Uh, Akamai is a, a great partner for a number of different companies. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, the first thing you you talked about was DDoS, um, and uh, and I think that that's that's really where I want to start. I mean, you've got uh, an article you recently wrote about DDoS and kind of what to think about on that. But let's start. What is DDoS for the you know for the listeners and for you know the the people who are tuning in? What is DDoS and what are the categories of DDoS that we really need to start thinking about? Yeah, it's interesting. Every time you turn around lately, it feels like there's another record being set. And so when we talk about that, you know, there's uh, recently we'll pick, you know, Google's last announcement of 46 million RPSs. And, and it's a new record. And first of all, what do all these mean? So if you hear somebody talk about RPS, it's request per second. And I know that's going against my web infrastructure. Somebody's attacking my web page, my login, you know, some way I interact with, with users. Um, and, and so that's kind of that layer seven attack. The next you'll hear are, are more around the layer three, four attacks, and that is bits per second. And if you hear bits per second, I'm just trying to overwhelm you. I'm trying to clog the pipes so much traffic that nobody else can get through. If you hear packets per second, that's the classic where I'm trying to overload your systems. You know, so many requests that the CPU can't keep up. So it's less about the pipe and more about attacking the infrastructure. And then if you hear queries per second, that's attacking the DNS. And, and again, so DNS is ultimately the GPS uh, we used to say the phone book, but not a, I don't have a phone book anymore. So DNS is that GPS of the internet telling everybody where to go. So if you take that out, people can't find you. Your employees can't find where they're trying to go. And each one of these have different attack environments, different uh, monetizations, and ultimately different records. What would... Again, just trying to kind of get the basics uh, for the audience. When we talk about a DDoS attack, um, and of course, I've I've been on the receiving end. You know, and my organization has, and you know, we've had to defend against DDoSs. What do most users experience when that is happening? Both from a customer side, so customer facing, if they're trying to access a service that is otherwise getting DDoS, or f and from the organization side, you know, what are they going to experience when these attacks happen? So we'll take it uh, on the, you know, kind of the, the corporate side first. And let's take an example. Uh, Google put out that record I mentioned, 46 million requests per second. 
Well, you know, that was an attack where people trying to go to Minecraft would have been interrupted and, and they couldn't get to what their resource was. They wouldn't know why. Uh, and so, you know, they're saying, okay, I can't get to it. Um, and I'm going to call the company and say, hey, I can't get to this site. Um, if, if the company or if Google had alerts in place, they have a playbook, they may know right away what it is. And later on, we'll talk about what they can do about it. But somehow they're going to get alert, either users and or through their you know, it depends on who owns it. Does IT own it? Does security own it? Someone's going to be alerting that we have a problem. And in this case, that attack lasted about 69 minutes. Um, but most of it is a low-level attack. And then over 10 seconds, it went from a low-level attack to a record-breaking attack. But that attack only lasted a few minutes. So again, if I'm a user, I may have been having trouble to get in and then just couldn't get any access at all. And so then I leave because, okay, it's offline, so I, I'm just going to leave. And that's the big fear during those few minutes it lasted. Now, we hear from Google that this was low impact. So while they hit a new record, their capacity was so high, their countermeasures were so high that they were able to mitigate that attack and the impact to the customer was low. And so that's one of the things, you know, we want to be clear about is not only was there a new record set, because that's important to me as a CISO, I need to know what my capabilities to handle a DDoS should be. But ultimately, if the impact wasn't felt by the users, then, you know, I'm not as worried about that. Yeah, and, and DDoS protections have grown in the last 10 or 15 years in terms of what they're capable of, capable of absorbing. But let's talk a little bit about the actual attackers, you know, DDoS versus a DOS. What does that look like in terms of the attacker doing something? You know, kind of explain what that DDoS is from how are they doing it and putting forth so much either request or packets or how do they do that? How do they get that to that organization to cause that interruption? So there's a couple things, you know, we'll, we'll take a, a typical three, four layer attack and, and they're increasing both size and complexity. So I would say, you know, back in 2010, the 90% of the attacks were basically coming through, you know, your, your typical a UDP flood, a SIN flood, a GET flood, a DNS flood, a UDP fragment, ICMP flood. There was just a few major ones. Now, those five only represent about 55 of the types of attack. And so they're just, you know, so many types of attack that you, you have to be a little bit more complex in what your defense is. The next thing was... You know, we used to know, okay, the, it took them a while to build up. You might see, you know, hours to build up to a peak, and now it's minutes. So people used to be able to have a reaction time. You know, our DDoS is expensive, so we're only going to turn it on when we need it. That's no longer practical because the speed is so fast. We used to kind of block known bots. But IoT devices getting taken over, a lot of the bots are first time seen because, you know, we're harvesting so many IoT devices 
to put into our bot networks. And so it it is size, it's complexity, it's speed. Talk a little bit about some of the methodologies. You have your big bang. So I'm, you know, that Google attack is a big bang, just a new record setting, something huge. The next would be, you know, that sophisticated adversary. Um, I'm going to attack you and you're going to use geo blocking. Then I'm going to attack you from a geo you can't block because it's where your customers are. And you're going to try a different defense and I'm going to try a different attack. And, and this is going to last, I've seen up to weeks, uh, you know, 17 wow. weeks of one persistent adversary going after one customer. And then there's a kind of those short bursts, those coming in uh, a little faster a little more frequently trying to interrupt. And the amazing part of all of this is you can go out and buy these services. Everything I'm talking about here is available as a service, which is so true of so much in our, our criminal ecosystem. Um, that, that that's, and it, it's interesting, some of these you can buy ransomware or you can buy a bot for, um, phishing, you can buy something else for DDoS. So uh, just as you know, and, I, and I'm sure you're going to share an example as well of how involved this criminal ecosystem has gotten. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just came out, you know, I've got customers who are on the hospital space and and it was, I think it was at the end of February that there was a notice to come out for KillNet, um, specifically yeah, hitting the the health sector, um, you know, specifically attacking the health organizations and hospitals and things. So talk to us about that. You know, talk to us about the, the attackers from that organized crime. What are they trying to do? How much money are they getting? Do we know that? Do, what, what do we know about these attackers like KillNet and others that are attacking specific services. I mean, they got healthcare, financial services, government, uh, infrastructure, things like that. So talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask, answer a few questions here. We'll start off with the industries being attacked. Um, so the, the most attacked industry is gaming. Um, then kind of tied for second place is financial services and high tech. Then we have another grouping of manufacturing, gambling, and commerce, and then pharma and healthcare and video and public sector and media are all kind of below that. And so one of the interesting things is these vary by region. So, you know, I said social media is kind of down there at the bottom globally, but if you go into Asia, it's number one. You know, it's it's the fastest growing, uh, and then we we'll talk for a second about you know I'll turn it over. Any thoughts on those industries? You know, you you talked about healthcare. I I said it's lower in being attacked. The impacts are still huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and, and for those industries, I mean, if you're in that industry, whether you're in healthcare or financial you feel like the number one target because it's hitting you, it's hitting your organization or it's hitting your, you know, your friends right. in the industry. Um, you know, and that's the thing, you know, when you're talking about um, DDoS as a service, um, you know, where you can pay to have that done to an organization, it, it's wide open. I mean, it's wide open of why they may come after you um, for your organization. 
it may be that they just don't like you. They may be looking for some sort of ransom, you know, hey, or extortion, you know, where they extort, you know, if you give us this much money, we'll stop our attack. So, I mean, there, there's a whole variety. And again, I, I kind of see it from our, my customer's point of view or my client's point of view of, you know, like the healthcare one, it, I was, when that came out, I was sitting, you know, at a healthcare client when I, the thing came across my, uh, my aggregator on my phone of the news articles. And it's like, Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's another one we need to think about. And we had to go down that conversation with leadership. So, you know, I think it's, Every yeah. industry can be affected, you know, when you're looking at um, looking at your um, Akamai state of the Internet reports. You know, that that's one of my my common ones I go and I read and and you know, they talk about the uh, the different industries that are getting hit. Of course, there's other reports out there that you can go and DDoS is still a major uh, attack. It's a major impact to organizations. And, I, and you hit on a key thing there, you know. As, as I put myself into the, the business model of the criminal, um, you know, how am I making money off of DDoS? And the most common is um, that extortion. Pay me and I won't take you offline. Uh, and so as I think about that, who's most likely to pay? Uh, who can I make the most from? In a small hospital versus large hospital. Hospital versus gaming. You know, mm -hmm. what's the motivation for gaming? I remember as a kid, theoretically, that I could pay somebody $10 to knock a gamer off and and win a game. Um, and so, you know, those old days uh, of kind of it was a, a little thing that people did for fun and nonsense or nuisance um, really has shifted. And now it is a major criminal enterprise. The other thing we've seen, though, is, you know, I've talked about industry, but let's let's step back and talk about the other factor that's really shifted things. Last year, the most GDOS attacks were in the United States. This year, they're, you know, over the last year, they're in Europe. That's because of the war. And somebody like Killnet is one of these odd that they're a criminal organization with a patriotic bent towards Russia. Uh, and as we know, a lot of the criminal organizations, um, you know, you don't you don't go to the bathroom where you eat, so they don't attack within Russia. Chinese, you know, don't attack out of things in China. So here we have a, a criminal organization that is always so looking to try to have a political impact, you know. And so that's what you've seen some attacks against airports, you've seen some attacks against banks, you've seen it against hospitals, you know, where they might have a, a broader impact. And and now you're worried about collateral damage. If my company comes out as against the war or against Russia and for Ukraine, am I now collateral damage and going to have Kilnet come after me? Yeah, and that's that's a huge one. I when I talk to organizations, regardless of their industry or their vertical, you know, I, I let them know that there's a lot of different reasons why they might get targeted. Um, they might be because it's a direct target. It might be that they're just a distraction. You know, if we get everyone looking at this thing over here, you know, this attack over here to this organization. They're not looking over here. And so there's a lot of different reasons. And, and, and you're right. You know, it, it's if they have a, a, a political uh, endpoint, their political objective they're trying to get to, or if they're just 
flexing. You know, I think there is some of it where they, they want people to know they're capable of doing it. Um, that way people get afraid. Um, so if you, if you think about it from the, uh, uh, the, the old mindset of, you know, you, you take down the, the biggest person in the yard in prison because that way everyone knows how tough you are. And kind of the same way, you've got these hacker groups out there that are very organized and very capable, but they are still competing with one another because there is a financial gain to them in some cases. They want to show that they can do this. You know, it, it would be, I think, I feel like if someone could clout that they could take down a very large organization or large network at the drop of a hat, well, that puts them a step above someone else in that same arena to get picked to do another attack somewhere. So, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why DDoS is a major threat to organizations. The one thing I try to get to people is um, to, to not necessarily think they're getting attacked for the reasons that they think. They have to look at that threat intel and try to figure out why it's still the attack. They still got to defend against it and recover from it but they've got to kind of broaden what they're thinking about to really understand the threat landscape. Absolutely. And it does. I mean, if, if the senior leadership is considering, you know, do I not want to make a, uh, a good corporate citizen comment or investment based on Killnet or somebody else potentially coming against me, you know, then they basically accomplish their mission. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I. And what is their mission? Is it to be uh, a privateer? Are you familiar with that that term yes. from back in the day? Yep, yep. So, so yeah, let's talk about what that is for just a second, because I'm not sure ever, sure everybody's familiar with that historical reference. <laughs> it's a pirate, sort of. <laughs> well, it's it's a pirate <laughs> that has been. Um, pulled into a national navy. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if Britain didn't have enough navy ships in the Caribbeans, they might commission a couple pirate ships to act on their behalf. And so now the pirates are no longer pirates. They're part of a the British Navy. Uh, right. You know, you can you can ha- we could go down a long rabbit trail about <laughs> contractors today. We'll just step back and say you know, if you're Killnet and you're kind of a criminal, you're you're kind of uh, uh, an advocate. How much are you guarded, guided by the the country? It gets really quickly messy. But ultimately, I feel the same impact. You know, yes. if they're coming against me, I'm still offline. Yeah. So I take why with a grain of salt. Um, you know, as we do these reports. Somebody is getting that big bang attack every quarter in every region. Somebody is just getting overwhelmed. And and that's the discussion of, okay, you know, am I regulated? If I'm regulated, how long can I be offline? Where does this fit in my investment strategy? Um, Because every year we continue to see DDoS is not going away. It's getting larger. It's getting more complex, more aggressive. Uh, and it, it's just staying around. Yeah. And, you know, DDoS, when you have a DDoS mindset, you know, it's going to happen to you. You should have it in your business continuity and disaster recovery plan, you know, of how are you going to, how are you going to deal with this? How are you going to resolve it? Now, the problem that I see is 
there's a lot of organizations that they are they might be secondary to um, the attack. So they might be attacking a very large cloud provider, and that service may go down. But this organization or my organization or someone, they are seeing the effects because that's where all the resources are. So they weren't part of the attack necessarily, but they had a negative impact. So that's one of the things that I try to get across in my tabletops and in my incident response is there are going to be times that you are the target. There's going to be times that your services that you provide, cloud services or otherwise, are going to be the target. The same effect is 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 negative to the organization. I mean, you may not be able to get to your email, to file shares, to services, to web applications. That still is something you have to consider in your business continuity plan and your disaster recovery plan. Even though you weren't the target, you could still have a negative effect on that. And let's talk about the new word, resiliency. Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing Dora come out of Europe, which is a, a resiliency um, compliance requirement that, that I expect to see here in the United States, similar to many of the other privacy and data localization laws that have come out of Europe. Now they're starting to, you know, require resiliency. Um, and cyber is a highly contested environment. And, and so it's, you know, not necessarily a, a disaster from a natural occurrence. It's an active, thinking, aggressive adversary. And so resiliency yeah. is a big part of this. So, you know, we've got to think, how am I protecting my customer? Because, you know, that's the layer seven, that's the WAF or web application and API firewalls, well, there's, you know, how am I protecting my employee access? Am I compliant? And you brought up that great point of, you know, I'm in a multi-tenant uh, environment. Uh, how much risk am I there if the, if the environment's taken down? Uh, you know, less brand damage, but still a lot of operational damage. But other supply chains that could be potentially taken offline and impact my ability to be operational. So all of these are a huge part of that risk portfolio and analytics. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I always talk about the eighth layer, and that's the person, because we do have systems, devices, and networks that deal with life safety and that can have an impact, you know, on on the ability to provide that life safety to an individual. So that's another thing that we that we're starting to talk about is when we have services that you know have been impacted and that could cause harm to someone, you know, physical harm or your know, life safety harm. You know, that's something that we have to build into those plans, those, you know, those incident response, disaster recovery and business continuity and resiliency plans. So that's something that, you know, I think a lot of organizations have not thought about up until now, but I think more and more of them are thinking about that because there's so many infrastructure items, um, individual things, like IoT or XIoT or any of those on the network that we've got to deal with. And sometimes that, you know, if those go down, people could die um, for a variety of reasons. So, um, but not to get too deep onto that because that gets really dark really quick when we start thinking about that. But you know, we, we talk about the industries, you know, what, what industries are you, do you believe are getting hit the most or have, or are being impacted the most by the DDoS attacks? 
Well, it's interesting when you say impacts. Uh, you know, we you talk about those industries. I'm a huge fan of the ISAC, so financial services ISAC, fairly mature. Uh, the energy, uh, you know, ISAC again, fairly mature. Defense contracting. You have others out there. Healthcare is an awesome one. Retail and hospitality. I think what are we around over 20 different ISACs? Those information sharing, great organizations. Um, yep. You know, a, a great resource to go to for everybody. Uh, but as I'm talking to these different ISACs, um, a lot of them continue to collaborate around, you know, what are best practices for this? How are we reacting? Um, the FBI put out uh, an extortion DDoS, I think maybe 16, 18 months ago. Time stood still during COVID, so I'd, I, it's hard for me to remember. But the... You know, we've got uh, DHS and the CISA, um, so many great resources to go look at what's impacting our peers. Uh, really, part of it comes back down to um, how critical is it that I be available within the hour? Something like financial services, I want immediate access to my wealth, my what little wealth I have, but the money I have in the bank I, if if I can't get access to it for an hour, how big a deal is that? Um, energy, I don't want my energy interrupted for an hour. My gaming, I'm probably not as upset about. Uh, of course, I'm not as big a gamer as some of you, so I know some of you take umbrage with that statement. Um, you know, the the safety ones, probably a lot more so. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to remind our audience that if you do have any questions, please feel free to post them in the chat and I'll make sure and those get posted out for Steve to, to see and comment on, you know, thinking about, you know, thinking about that piece, um, you know, you have your different uh, industries or your, your different groups that are being attacked. Um, but, you know, we've over in the last what, week and a half, two weeks, you know, we've had a lot of things on the, on the banking side and the finance side that have been affected. And, and you're right. I mean, if an attacker wanted to cause disruption, and again, it's not necessarily the direct disruption of taking down a website, it's causing fear in uh, a, the community, a uh, community around that, uh, that industry. Uh, a DDoS is a great way of doing it because if the thought was that they couldn't get access to their wealth, as you said earlier, what's gonna happen? That's gonna cause distrust in the system and we're going to have a good old-fashioned bank run, you know. And I know people hate saying that word, but that you know, it wouldn't be very hard for an attacker to cause a a lack of trust in the community that has a secondary effect of a bank run or something equivalent to that, because it's fear. You know, you're driving fear, and if an organization gets hit with a DDoS and they're not able to get in, you might get afraid. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I will tell you that, that when KillNet was going against airports, that's a prime example of I have trust that I'm going to get on an airplane and be safe. And you take away that trust that I have because KillNet took down the airport itself, not the flight system. And and so, again, even if, if it's an airport web page and you hear airport, it's huge impact to my trust and yep that 
you know, we talk about brand, um, but for financial services, for healthcare, for, you know, critical transportation like that, I think it, it, the right word is probably trust. I think you nailed that word there that, you know, if, if that starts to erode, if I'm not sure it's going to be there, um, you know, how big an impact was that? Yeah, and it's lingering impacts. You know, it's it, they people when they lose trust, it, it's not may not be necessarily immediate, but it may be several days, several weeks later that those impacts really start showing. Um, so it's it can be again. It's we're not just seeing direct attacks against servers anymore. We're seeing attacks on the community, on the population because those attacks have an effect on people's decision-making. And when it does that, you know, that has a direct effect on the livelihood of these organizations. You know, and so it does go back to, and I love the old saying, trust, years to build, seconds to lose. Um, you know, yep. it, it is just, it's so true. Um, you know, we always talk about the technology, but to me, most of it's about the relationships, you know, and, and, and so as we boil this back down, you know, it is a huge part and uh, let's say DNS, do, do I really think about, is my DNS protected from, you know, this attack of a DDoS? Am I, and am I okay with that? And, and so my web pages and my web portals for customer access are good, but my DNS isn't. And so that's why when we talk about D this DDoS, there are so many aspects that it could really come in and attack against part of your infrastructure can take your whole operation offline. And that's one of the things you and I wanted to share on this is just stepping back and saying, do I have unacknowledged risk do you have I, is my risk acceptance from five years ago still appropriate you know based on these new yep. attack levels should i should i go relook at at kind of my my most of a, most people have a service is my service still the right service yeah and i want to talk about that because Risk mitigation is a huge piece for organizations. And I'm constantly working with organizations that when I talk with them, they are going on their mitigations that they implemented seven, eight, 10 years ago. So I recommend this like, hey, we have new technologies, we have new processes, we have new mindsets coming into you know, 2023 that we need to really evaluate if those things are still valuable to us in the way we want them to be. So talk to me a little bit about DDoS mitigations, um, specifically risk mitigation, because it's not necessarily always about the true DDoS attack, because you have these other things, again, business continuity and whatever that you got to think about. But talk to me, let's start with just DDoS mitigations. What, what options do people have? So uh, this will be a back and forth discussion just on this because I think there are subsets. But let's, I just mentioned, you know, those protection services. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. So the first thing, regardless of anything else, is your attack surface. Where is your attack surface? And again, I, I want to get away from talking about locations, but I'm going to break my rule and say, I've got cloud, I've got multi-cloud, I've got, 
you know, third party, I've got on-prem, I've got legacy, healthcare, oh my goodness, legacy. And so um, I've got IoT, Where? what is my attack surface and where can I reduce that? Um, where can I control that? Then where can I hide it? Where can I put my, my surface behind this protection surface? The, the second is, are my capabilities? You know, we just talked about this record. Um, I would I would say every year you need a plan to up your protection baseline. You know, is it 10x? Is it whatever? Is it 3x? Depending on your industry, but every year you need to go check your baseline for capabilities. My provider, um, what are their mitigation controls? Do they have rate limiting? Do they have geo protections? Am I going to be black holed in a multi-tenant organization if if I'm getting attacked to protect the other members of that tenanted organization? So really understanding what the protection services provide. And then if you've ever heard me talk, you know I'm going to harp on playbooks and oh, exercises yeah. and validation. Yep. And so that's the second part of this. When's the last time you did an exercise to make sure your contact list is up to date? That your playbook of when they're going to contact you, what you're going to do, uh, who's going to do that, and have you validated that? Is your pen test team doing that? Is your red team doing that? Have you hired a, uh, somebody to do a capacity test and do one of those flood attacks on you? So that whole protection service, I think, is that first level, more of a technical level. Uh, we'll probably dive deeper into specific tools, but but I think that's the first part that we really need to get our arms around. Yes, if you don't know your 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 threats uh, landscape, if you don't know what you can be attacked at, you know it, that's one of the things. You know, when I talk to organizations and I ask them, "How many machines you got on the internet?" They don't know. They, they 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 don't they don't have a way to, to determine that. Like, okay, how many services do you have out in the cloud? And they don't. And, and and let's talk about this from a framework. You know, the CIS eighteen one and two is: Do you have a, an inventory of your devices, an inventory of your software? Um, and I think soon we're going to have number three: Do you have an inventory of all your cloud services? Because those aren't quite softwares, they're not quite servers, you know, hardware, but it's something that you've got to know and you've got to know what is the capability of those services and what is the impact if those services go down. Um, I, in my previous organization, yep. I, we got DDoSed, we unplugged the server and it went away. A lot of organizations can't do that. You know, they, they don't have the capability of doing that just because they're so, the organization is so, comp, you know, complex but i literally went over and funk and network bandwidth went down everything came down everything went back to normal and uh i was very fortunate in that particular situation that it was that simple i i can't imagine any organization out there having a simple response like that being effective against a full-out ddos attack either to themselves or their cloud providers and in some ways you're reinforcing the DDoS. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you if you get black holed, if you black hole yourself, if you take yourself offline, um, then how do you know when you can go back online? So I agree that having been in similar situations, uh, I remember those days and I agree with you, 
we sound like dinosaurs because those <laughs> days are long gone. Yes. Um, I, I've got a lot but, more gray in my beard nowadays. <laughs> um, and I guess uh, the next part is this is highly visible. Adidas mm -hmm. is like ransomware. It's two attacks that everybody knows right away because your capacity, your capabilities, your operations are shutting down. And so it, it's not like, you know, we had data stolen or we there's a breach over here or an insider threat. On day one of the investigation, it is public. And so it requires crisis management. And, and this is a huge part. And so not only do we need those technical controls, but we need triggers. If I'm down for 30 seconds, who needs to be notified? Three minutes, three hours, three days, three weeks. Uh, if I'm regulated, what is a sequence of, I notify the CISO, the CISO notifies the board, the board notifies the regulator. The day they notify the regulator, we might as well put out a press release at the same time. So PR needs, this is complex. And yes. I think DDoS and ransomware need to go through that same drill that we've been doing for for data breaches. It's that crisis management. Yep. It's how are we being transparent? And oh, by the way, if we're offline, how are we getting our <laughs> communications out? Right. Uh, you know, if our can't, customers can't get to our portal, you know, how are yeah. we letting people know? Is it through social media? Is it through direct email? Do we have offline email to do that? And so... This crisis management and communication plan is critical. And again, it is a playbook. You know, I think the crisis management playbook has third party, it has ransomware, it has DDoS, it has data breach. It has, you know, four or five of these big plays and some of them have different timelines and different yep. regulation requirements and, you know, all of that. Thoughts? Yeah. Well, so I, I agree with you completely. And the I actually, in my organizations that I work with, we create a specific notification playbook because, you know, as you have your ICS, your instant command system, and you have someone that is otherwise responsible for doing your communications, maybe that's your marketing communications person, maybe that's your general counsel, whoever it may be, I want to have that document of everywhere we are required to notify. And that may be your cybersecurity insurance. They may be regulators. That may be law enforcement. That may be contracted um, vendors. You know, you may have a, a contractual obligation to notify people. So you have all of that in one document. They say, okay, I've got 24 hours to notify CISA, which is a new requirement that is going to be happening in a lot of finance or a lot of uh, infrastructure organizations. Um, you might have 10 hours to notify a, uh, a vendor but due to a contractual agreement with them. You may have 72 hours to notify the state. So having all of that lined out in one place that you have part of your incident command team monitoring that. And you're absolutely right. A lot of people, when they talk about communications, if your network is down and comms are down, how do you meet those obligations? You know, do you have a secondary process to communicate with people and to make those notifications outbound? Uh, in the chaos of the moment, during an incident response, you're not going to remember everything. 
You know, having those checklists and having those playbooks are super critical. Now, the, the thing that I always get into is when we do tabletops, and I do a lot of tabletops, a lot of times we focus on the tabletop of ransomware or of a DDoS or of insider threat. And those are great, but we really need to have that incident command system at that next layer up because there has to be management decisions and then organizational decisions. So when we're talking about a DDoS, not only do we need to have the playbooks and everything in there for us to mitigate the DDoS attack, but we also need to know that executive leadership needs to know, okay, we will not have the network. What do you need to do? We will not have these people because they're focusing on this incident. What do you need to be able to be successful at your role in incident command? And I think that that is really what gets them because when I do senior executive tabletops and we talk about this, we talk about it from a decision-making level, you know, not just a technical level, the tools that we use and the process that we do, but this is, this is what we know now. What do you do? Okay, now we have a little bit more information. Now what do you do? We have a little bit more information. Now what do you do? So we build this phases of scenarios so that we can talk about those decisions because you're absolutely right. I mean, if we're, you know, if you're down for 30 minutes, what does that mean? You know, who do you have to notify? How much money have you lost? You know, we have some organizations here in Tulsa that they gauge outages by dollar amount per second. You know, when they have an outage, you know, they, there's a number that they use per second uh, and, of course, per minute per hour of how much they have lost because it is that critical to them. And there's not a lot of mature organizations, there's not a lot of organizations that are mature enough to really understand that piece yet, but I think we're growing, we're getting better because we have to. Yeah, the classic example is, you know, during that exercise is when you find out, okay, we called in our external forensics before we notified our cyber insurance, so our not cyber insurance won't pay for the forensics. Yep. And, and that's why that playbook is so critical. Yes. You know, it it's just that little that little discovery during an exercise. Yeah. Is 10 15 million dollar mistake. Oh yeah. Uh, the the last part of this is I want to talk about some of the tools. A lot of what we've talked about to date is you know, Fortune 5000 big companies, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately not everybody gets this. Not everybody gets five playbooks. Not everybody gets, you know, multiple tools. And so, ultimately, what are the baseline tools we're talking about here? And so, you know, the first is you need some kind of a WAF or web application and firewall protection. Uh, you may get then that, that infrastructure protection. You can hire somebody like, you know, Prolexic, which is our capability, mm -hmm. which is standalone or you can go to your service provider is a great place to find that resource. Um, you know, if we go back to that sassy concept of we, we're trying to do vendor reduction, you may want to find somebody that does both. You need somebody else thinking typically about DNS, mm -hmm. protecting, speeding up DNS. Um, so, you know, you can have three different tools that you're managing to protect DNS. Obviously, you can get all three of those from, from one provider or, 
you know, I call that best teammate. You can go best athlete. You may only have the budget to pick one. And so which one are you going to pick? Uh, and that's a matter of your business model. What is the most important thing to you? Um, and, and then as a CISO, it's our job to make sure that the leadership understands where they've accepted risk. You know, and yep. and if you accept risks on D and ask, what is your time to implement a fix over there? And and that's just make sure everybody knows those things. That's a good question. So let me ask you this. You know, we have a lot we have a, a variety of people in the uh, the audience and I know that we have a lot of managers and decision makers, you know, leadership, executive leadership, you know, IT, IT security and such. What do you think? And I'm not quite sure how to ask the question. I, I have it in my head. What do you think an organization needs to use as a threshold to decide that they need to invest in a tool like this? I mean, is it something to the effect of well, if we have a, a DDoS and we go down for more than 30 minutes, that's not an acceptable threshold to us. So we need that's a to material tools. impact. I love the term material impact. Okay. That's going to impact our, our revenue goals for the quarter, for the year. It's a material impact. Uh, okay. and, and I'm going to, I'm going to real quickly, uh, the, the person on in LinkedIn that said, can you ask a general security question? Yes, you can. The hard ones go to Jonathan's. The easy ones come to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so please throw any questions in uh, and, and we'll try to answer them. Um, but, but it is, you know, every one of us has $10 of problems and $5 a budget. Right. And, and so it's ultimately about making sure that the leadership understands because, you know, Every dollar that we take away, we're not investing in new products. We're not investing in better marketing. And and so we have to be good stewards and yep. and and make sure they understand and are, and can articulate the risks. So it's smart risk. We yep. want to take risk. It just should be smart risk. And you know, if I can say DNS could go down for this long before we could remediate. If we remediate under this, we're going to be paying much higher cost. They have to accept that risk. Yeah, and I think we, we need to be careful. We, I, I encourage people, don't fear monger. You know, you don't want people, you want to tell them about the risks and make sure they are aware of it, but don't intentionally walk in there trying to cause a lot of fear because that, that changes trust in you as CISO. So when I go in... You know, I usually have bad news. You know, that's just kind of the reality of when I have to go to a board. I always want to preface it with good news, but I also want to tell them, like, hey, this is some problems that we've had. Um, but there's a fine line between walking in saying, hey, we're going to get DDoS and we have no protections and it's your fault. You're not giving me any you know, money for this, as opposed to actually having a real conversation with them and explaining to them in their terms, what they want to know about what is that risk and what is that acceptable risk level. 
because a lot of times they don't know. I mean, they don't know. You could go in and say, I need $10 million worth of resources to defend against this sort of attack. They will, they will probably, I hope, they will want to know, well, what's the likelihood of that attack? What is the impact of that attack? You know, just doing your regular risk matrix. And then they're going to ask you, you know, what options do we have? What are other industries doing? You know, what... And that's where I find that that conversation is really, really helpful because I need to know what they're thinking about at a senior executive leadership level or a board level so that I can provide that information to them. But it only happens with good conversation, you know, knowing what both sides need. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there are times in which you accept the risk, you know, it's a, uh, it's important to know that. Okay, so we've got the question coming in. Let's see. As security awareness and culture is vital to security programs' success, why have not more CISOs pushed for training and even security tools to become accessible? Well, I mean, I think we we do push for security training and security tools to be more accessible. I guess I don't really quite understand the question of where it's not accessible. Yeah, and, and for me, um, it goes back to, you know, $10 of problems and $5 of uh, budget. And so um, ultimately, if we're asking for training, we need, we the person asking need to make sure we're building a good business case. Uh, and a lot of times we come up and we say we need training. I would encourage you when you need that to present it as a business case. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, some of this we can take on our own. So all we have to ask for is the time. Uh, but, yeah, that that's a complex question for sure. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about security awareness programs, we uh, one of the things that I try to push um oh for accessible in terms of oh, no. correct okay i didn't catch correct. that um that's a very good point uh i i i don't know that why i mean that's um and actually uh, i would also say that may be uh quite honestly uh hr and compliance issue yeah um, yeah if if you're uh have a disability accessibility um, uh, truly, uh, something that makes a difference. But I mean, you know, think about it, you know, you start doing things like uh, multi-factor, um, uh, a lot of our security tools, you're, you're right. Um, I, I honestly don't, I know that, you know, coming from higher ed universities, I did a lot of training with everybody on campus. Um, and I, uh, of every background, you know, maybe not, um, maybe they were blind or maybe they were deaf, um, you know, the, uh, or they, they, the English was not their, their first language or primarily or at all language. You know, I had a lot of international faculty members that came in and students that came in that, you know, so it was always, I don't want to say a challenge because I always enjoyed working with everybody. Um, you know, I learned sign language when I was in college and I taught my kids sign language, you know, when they were very, very young. And so I always enjoyed working with people and engaging with people regardless of how we needed to communicate. But that's a good point. I'm, I'm going to have to to think about that and, and go out and do some research on whose security awareness trainings and whose tools are available in those ways. 
I don't think I've ever had that question. So um, is it, is it Allie? Uh, that might be Allie. I appreciate that question. It just says LinkedIn user for us. So I appreciate that question. I'm going to go spend some time um, and see if I can, you know, get more educated about that. Um, but if you're a, a CISO, she, the, this person has said again, you know, but if you're a CISO, and you want to reach all your base accessibility can be pushed in that field too. Absolutely. It can. It absolutely can. Yep. And, and, and that's one of those things that uh, sometimes we're so get caught, we get caught up in the attacks or in the security controls that we don't think about that. Um, so, uh, um, that's something I'm going to, I'm going to put some research into. I appreciate that. Um, and that might be Justin, uh, Justin Mirhoff, um, director of security. He is a director of security. So that's something I'm going to, I'm going to put on my list to go uh, do some research into. That's a good point. So we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, we might even be uh, within 30 seconds. Uh, yep, 30 seconds. They're going to finish this. So thank you, Steve. I thank you so much for coming in and, and talking with us about DDoS attacks. Everyone, please uh, catch us next week for another episode. Uh, if you can find us on your uh, favorite podcast app and on the Voice American Network. Uh, we had a great time. I had a great time talking with Steve. This is a great topic. And Justin, thank you for uh, that uh, that piece about accessibility and the security awareness. That's I'm going to see if I can do a show on that. I think that will be a, a good show about that. So everyone, have a great afternoon. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakim. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.